Welcome to another episode of the Asian American Brainstorm. Today, we're going to be diving into two amazing, very recently written books written by Asian American authors. This podcast actually started because Adiba, Lisa, and I all met in a book club that formed during quarantine. Early 2020 things. Exactly, right? And in that book club, we read a lot of amazing books by a lot of really fantastic Asian American writers. And so we thought we'd share two of our favorites with you all today. Those books are On Earth Were Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vuong and Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. So let's get started with Ocean's book. I'm super happy we picked up this book when I joined a book club because I had never read a memoir before and you all kind of like encouraged me to and it was definitely a different experience. It's about Ocean Vuong. He was born in Saigon, Vietnam and raised in Hartford, Connecticut. He currently lives in Northampton, Massachusetts, where he serves as an associate professor in the MFA program for poets and writers at UMass Amherst. After we read the book together, we watched a live interview and we got to hear Ocean Vuong and we just like loved the way he writes and describes his experience. It was exactly how we thought he would speak. I really love that interview. And I think one of the things he brought up was really vital for our understanding of the book. One of the things he talked about was how minority writers and writers from the global south often get pigeonholed as, quote, reporters, even when they're exhibiting these like extraordinary feats of their imagination. And so one of the things he really wanted to emphasize about On Earth Were Briefly Gorgeous is that he wasn't trying to write a biography, even though a lot of people read it and they think that it's a biography really is what he called autofiction, where he does incorporate aspects of his experience and aspects of like memoir writing, but ultimately it is a work of fiction and doesn't actually take place. So just wanted to use that to make sure you're entering the discussion from that perspective. Yeah, he really has a mastery of being able to kind of transport you to this different place in time to a point in which you feel like it's real but again it seems like a lot of it is actually fiction so to give an overview the book was published in 2019 on earth were briefly gorgeous is written in the form of a letter by a young vietnamese american nicknamed little dog whose life mirrors that of ocean vuong so with that could we get into things that resonated with us with the book there was a lot about generational trauma, and I think we, we felt that. Yeah, especially since the book was written as a letter to the author's mother, or not the author, but the speaker's mother. That was, I felt like, especially heart-wrenching because of being like the child of immigrants. There's like a lot of things you see your parents do for you that is hard and like is really emotional, and then trying to be able to talk to them about it oftentimes having to bridge like language barriers in order to try like address these things is a really difficult thing to do and so watching um little dog in the book try to do so and try to work through these really complex experiences that he had with his mother was it really hit home in a emotional way i cried so many times reading it there was a part in the book about how like a lot of our parents we don't say sorry or i love you in our book club, we discussed like how usually the Asian American love language or saying sorry is just giving food or come eat. So I think that was really, you realize that it's not just your family. Yeah, right. Y'all experienced that too. <laughs> 
for the longest time, I really thought that that was just my mom, (laughs) (laughs) especially because my dad is Caucasian. So he had a different love language than my mom. So it was very interesting, you know, to to grow up and then realize like, oh, especially in this book, like it's a thing across cultures. Does he say sorry and I love you? Yes, he does. He says both of those things. (laughs) He's a words of affirmation person. (laughs) I remember growing up and just like thinking that saying I love you is like the cringiest thing. I was like, that's so gross. Like, why do people say that? (laughs) I think I still cringe. Like, I just wanted to say it. I'd be like, um, are you okay? (laughs) Another part that may not be the case for us because we grew up in pretty diverse places in the U.S., but growing up in Hartford, Connecticut, I can't imagine as the only Vietnamese person. That must have been so difficult to grow up with. And we see it in the book sometimes. Like there's a part in the book where like a random white person comes up and tries to talk and the author has to like translate doing the best he can to like speak in English. And that was really heartbreaking to read. I thankfully never had to go act as an appearance translators because they like did have really good English skills when they came over to U.S. Like, they had specifically studied it. But I do remember a lot of my friends growing up. Like, one of my best childhood friends was Korean, and, like, her parents did not speak English very well at all. And so she had to be the one, like, 10 years old, helping them, like, fill out forms and, like, going to the doctor's office and, like, calling people and everything. That just, like, that was so impressive to me because... I don't know about you all, but I remember being a kid and just like, even now, I still get stressed out talking to people on the phone. <laughs> and she had to be the one to do that for her whole family. Me too. I'm like, is there a chat feature for this? So I don't have to call. <laughs> Can I please talk to a robot, actually? Very independent and, and really good at adulting, you know, like doing their taxes and stuff like that. Things that, you know, we were learning at a later age. Exactly. It's like all that responsibility thrust on them. Going back to being surrounded by like people who don't look like you, I think, yeah, you're right, Adiba. Like growing up, there was definitely like a lot of like Asian Americans and especially Chinese Americans around me just because like that's who my parents sought out. Like they were looking for community. The easiest way for them to like find that community was to find other people who shared their exact experience who had also immigrated from China and were just like looking for other people to speak Chinese and like engage in some of their culture with. And so I feel like thankfully I always was surrounded by people who look like me and yet, yet in Florida, and you all will like resonate with this, I think. They're still like saying really ignorant stuff and like just thinking that like we're the minority when like from my perspective like almost all my friends were asian american it was just like only when i went to school that like i saw anyone who wasn't asian american that's pretty similar experience for me yeah school is definitely where i probably can relate to the author where you're kind of the only one and you're like you're almost like the face of your entire community where you have to answer questions and it's just it can be a lot and just like how we talked about like the author had to like do all these things for his mom and didn't really have a choice and i think a lot of things we have to kind of take on here that we we don't expect to and we there's nothing really we can do about it i think now this generation things are a little bit better definitely early 2000s is rough on the topic of like being the representative of like your entire like i don't know ethnicity race whatever um, i just remember being in like the first grade or something and getting called over by my teacher and she like pulled me in really hush hush and she was like 
Robin, is this the Chinese middle finger? And then she held up her pinky. Oh my gosh. I don't know. Like, I didn't even know the middle finger was bad at that point. Like, that wasn't something that I, like, knew about as a six-year-old. I was like, that's just another finger. Like, how is that in the middle? You know? Like, I guess if you held up both hands, it's technically in the middle. But, like, you're asking me some nonsense right now. (laughs) What was your experience like, Lisa? It's a little different. I don't think we had... We had relatives that we visited, but I don't remember... We didn't, like, go to, like, a Korean church or anything. So we didn't have quite, I think, the level of community in the sense that you guys are talking about. A lot of the my parents' friends were friends from work. And that, you know, isn't necessarily other Asian Americans. I know that I have definitely been the only, like, Asian person in elementary school, like, in my classes. Um, I remember one time, one time we were reading this story in elementary school and there was um, a character in their dog, character was white and the dog's name was Suki, which is my mom's name. What happened was that these kids in the classroom started like snickering at that name and were like, basically like, that's a funny name. Why would you name your dog that name? It sounds weird. And then I like burst into tears and I was like, that's my mom's name. <laughs> and then like my my teacher had to give everybody a lecture about being, Yikes. <laughs> about being sensitive about that sort of thing. But yeah, I think that's the only like, I think time I can really recall people just like, again, just not having exposure. You all brought back another, I guess, childhood trauma. <laughs> So you know how now, like, henna is cool, everybody knows what it is, everyone wants it, but when I was in, like, elementary school, so we put on henna, you know, just, like, weddings and Eid, like, any celebration, we just put it on each other for fun, and go to school, and I'd be, like, in fourth, fifth grade, and everyone would be like, oh my god, what is that? Are you okay? Are you bleeding? And it's, like, dark brown, it's not red, but now we're all a little salty because we've grown up and suddenly everyone knows what it is. So, I mean, I'm kind of glad everyone knows what it is now, but it would have been nice back then to not have people freak out every single time I come to school. No, I totally get that. It's like, uh, I feel like this has been talked about a lot, but it's like the whole thing about like, oh, your food is stinky. And then now it's like suddenly trendy. and like People pay so much money for like food. Or like, I guess it still happens actually, because I remember there was like a BuzzFeed or like some kind of video a while back maybe 2018 or so where it was like white people tried durian or like jackfruit for the first time and like everyone's making fun of it and it's like don't buy a jackfruit like those are nice those are kind of delicacies like if you can't appreciate it like stop making fun of it (laughs) on earth we're briefly gorgeous is a really gorgeous book by ocean vong highly recommend that anyone read it we're only scratching the surface of the things he discusses in the book. And we're really only discussing it from the Asian American perspective. We haven't even gotten into the queer perspective that he brings to the book. Um, a lot of it is about being gay and like how that's received in immigrant communities. I highly recommend for anyone to read it. Let's get into Minor Feelings, colon, An Asian American Reckoning, got by Kathy Park Hong. So Kathy Park Hong is a Korean-American poet, writer, and currently a professor at Rutgers Newark University. She's primarily a poet, and Minor Feelings is her only work of nonfiction, but I think it's absolutely incredible. I had, there's so much that I learned from reading this book. There's so much that I hadn't considered about the Asian American experience, and it really just put into words a lot of the things that, like, I had kind of felt, but, like, I didn't know how to express, and therefore, like, 
didn't feel as real to me just yet. Another must read, in my opinion. The book was published in 2020. It's a collection of essays uh, that address the Asian American experience, spanning from analysis of systemic Asian American racism to her personal experiences with other Asian Americans in this world of the U.S. And she, because she's Korean American, she also does a lot of contrasting between the U.S. and places like Seoul. In this book, I know for me, at least, this book was like quotes (laughs) o'clock. There's so many just like bangers in this book that you could just like pull out and just like read it somewhere and just mic drop and leave. (laughs) There really was. So many just moments where I had to stop and just kind of reflect on my whole life. Just really great, straightforward writing that clarifies a lot of really complex dynamics. Same here. I felt that Kathy Park Hong kind of covered so many different topics that will go into like racial discrimination, therapy, even things within the Asian American community. I mean, we're not perfect. We have a lot of problems just within that. Yeah. She talked a little bit about self-hatred as an Asian American. I can read like a quick quote from her book. Uh, Racial self-hatred within the Asian American context is seeing yourself the way that the whites see you, which turns you into your own worst enemy. Your only defense is to be hard on yourself, which becomes compulsive and therefore a comfort to peck yourself to death. You don't like the way you look, how you sound. You don't think that your Asian features are defined enough, like God started pinching out your feathers and then abandoned you. You hate that there are so many Asians in the room. Instead of solidarity, you feel that you are less than around other Asians and the boundaries of yourself are no longer distinct, but are congealed into a horde. So basically, I feel like this is kind of something that I hadn't really thought about. It's true, you know, I feel like there are some there are times when you sometimes companies, you know, corporations have quotas of like diversity. Oh, you're Asian and a woman. So that's a good thing this part of you that if you if you're not careful enough like you can like get into this mindset of feeling like you're competing with them so that's just like one thing that i kind of thought of another thing that i thought of is this culture of like i'll give an example koreans right monolid surgery to make their eyes double-lidded it was actually she covered it in this book it was created by a white person that was here during World War II and the like Korean War eras, and he created it mostly for sex workers in order to make them more attractive to GIs that were in Korea. And somehow this has taken off, and now everybody and their cousin wants to get a monolid surgery. I mean, it's like the most common procedure in Korea for plastic surgery. I've even had a Korean relative suggested that I get monolid surgery. What? For me, at least reading that was very validating because I was like, no, I'm not going to change myself in my particular opinion. You know, if you want to do that as an individual, that's your choice. But at least for me, I like the way that I look. I'm not going to change myself to be more quote unquote Western. Absolutely agree. Yeah, it's like, a, like I think the intention, like if you're trying to look like less Korean, I wouldn't want you or anyone to do that. Going to the first thing you're talking about, like feeling the need to compete with other Asian Americans, like I think 
Kathy Park Hong also does a really good job of expanding it as well. So one of the topics she brings up is what she calls the porosity of we, which I really like. Basically, it's the idea of like expanding the concept of what we means to include not just us, but like other minorities as well. Kind of along the lines of what you mentioned, where there's a lot of competition amongst Asian Americans to be like the Asian American in the room. There's also like a lot of competition between like minorities to be like the minority in the room. And it's like, you don't have to be the minority in the room. That's like artificial construct created by like these institutions to try to like limit and create minorities artificially. Instead, like maybe we should be working together and just like trying to make it more equitable so like everyone gets a say. Rather than it being like, for instance, just picking a random example, college admissions, rather than it being like 10 legacy admits and one minority admission, why not reverse it or something like that? And then going to your second point, Lisa, about like monoloid surgery, like I really didn't, I had no idea about that either. Um, Kathy Park Hong's book was the first place where I learned that practice stemmed from basically a colonial war. (sighs) I was really glad to learn that like I've also had like the idea of monolith surgery suggested to me and I agree like I think obviously like your body um you can choose like how you want to modify it but I do think like that I want to just be happy with how I look I feel like if I had known about the history of it if I was more educated about like why the monolith surgery is so popular where it came from like that would have just made me want it even less and I wonder like how many few like how would it affect people's choices to like do the surgery or not if they knew like where it came from what it's rooted in and like what we're perpetuating when we choose to like cater to that absolutely i mean i don't think most koreans know the exact origins of the monolid surgery and i think if they did maybe it would change how many people actually get it Is there anything else in the reading that kind of stuck out to y'all? Any, like, favorite moments? Her summary of her father really stuck out to me and how basically he did his best to live the American dream. In Korea, you know, after the war, it basically was pretty messed up for a while just because they had to rebuild. America seemed like the better option. And so... Her father basically lied and said that he had some specialized training as a mechanic so he could come to the Americas because he wanted to live the American dream. You know, we've all heard that one. (laughs) And he went to America, worked as mechanic, kind of learning on the job, got by for many years until basically he had an accident while at work and more or less shattered his leg. So could no longer do, you know, that kind of on-your-feet mechanic work. And then he ended up transferring to a more a sit-down job where he sold life insurance in Koreatown in L.A. There he worked more than 10 hours a day and was eventually promoted up to, like, a manager position. No matter how much he worked at this job, he couldn't save enough. And so he basically just spent his years working and working and working his life away in some ways. Maybe even part because of these just long hours, he drank a lot and had drinking problems. And I'm sure it seems like her childhood was was really difficult. You know, I really feel for her on that. It goes to show you that this kind of like American dream thing, it's not possible for everyone. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people think that you just kind of come here and get rich, basically. And that's not, you know, like some people do. Some people become really successful. But I think majority, it's like there's a lot of struggles and a lot of things you miss out on that you, there's a lot of things you leave behind. And I think generational trauma is also in this book. A lot of things Kathy Park Hong had to face unintentionally. Our parents kind of pass on to us. My mom worked her entire life as assistant manager at 7-Eleven. She never, you know, even though I know that my mom was a smart woman, she was very driven. She never, quote unquote, high paying job. In some ways, a sacrifice for me. She wanted me to do better than her. But also sometimes I just wonder, like, I know she wanted the American dream because she started like a, she did a little vending machine side business for a while. She wanted to run her own business. And so I know she had these dreams and part of me just feels like, I feel bad that you didn't get to, to live that out in some way, you know? I get that opportunity thanks to her. The American dream is kind of a scam, right? Like it gives you the hope to like keep working, keep grinding and like keep hustling or whatever it is. It works out for some, it doesn't work out for a lot of other people for a lot of different reasons, whether that's like institutional, whether that's like some just like really bad luck, inherently a limited resource, like the value of it lies in the ability to exclude people from like achieving it for all of those reasons. In some ways it does help them, but like it never gets them quite to where they're trying to go. And in the process, they get like very deeply hurt by racism by just like the trauma of like uprooting your entire life and going to a new country yeah absolutely it really seems like a lot of the opportunities to become high earners are afforded to people who already come in with high education to the u.s because they're the ones that become upon their first generation right the doctors and the lawyers and the engineers and etc right for a while there the u.s was only taking asians that had higher education and so the model minority myth, right, that's used to set the Asian Americans against every other minority by society as a whole, because they're like, look, the Asians are doing fine. Why can't you guys be like them? The whole irony of it is that the U.S. was already only taking Asian Americans with higher education for a long period of time. And so part of the reason why this this myth exists, it's not that, you know, just Asians are really good at assimilating. It's that we specifically, for many, many years, were only allowed to come into this country if we had a higher education of some form. Right. And you see this perpetuated today. Like, obviously, there's like a huge economic gap within the Asian American community. There are people who have come from like very, very little who came here as refugees or just like came here to try to start a better life that usually remain in those same economic classes because of just how unachievable the American dream is. It's always easier to gain money when you already have money and coming in with nothing is a really hard way to like build up to anything. Absolutely. It's a really good point. So at the beginning of the book, they talked about therapy and I thought it was, I completely understood Kathy Park Hong's like, she found this like also Korean therapist and really wanted to stick with that. And honestly, I was on her side when the therapist was kind of like, we can't work together. I was like, I'm sure there's a reason. How did you feel about all that? Yeah, I was also on her side. I was very frustrated <laughs> that we never got an answer as to why she couldn't. It's actually interesting because I technically have been seeing an Asian American therapist myself. And I at least, she's very different though. She's not like my mother. Let's put it that way. Very much a therapist and very much like 
affirming and good at expressing emotions through words, which is not, I think, generally something that typically is associated with Asian American parents. I wondered to myself, like, what could have been the reason it's possible? Maybe it had something to do with the fact that she would be too she would be too into it herself as a therapist because she could relate too much. I also think it was that the therapist might have related too much to her. But I'm glad you found someone who's like a good balance, like that understands you, but also is like not like a parent. Yeah, she is pretty great. I'm glad that I found her. (laughs) So for this book as well, we've only discussed a quick dive. Definitely recommend reading Minor Feelings, On Earth We're Beautifully Gorgeous, and also other works by Ocean Vong and Kathy Park Hong. Both these books are actually rumored to be having film and series adaptations in the near future, so we can't wait to see them come to the screen. Thanks for listening, and until our next topic, subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to read personal stories from the Asian American community or submit your own, visit our website, www.whereimreallyfrom.com.